Who never do for do? Yeah, wings with friends. Ah, wings with friends. You got to get the wings to be with the friends. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Wings with Friends. Happy New Year! Happy 2021. How are you? I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for tuning in for another wonderful year. We've got great things ahead this year, like great guests, um, maybe some giveaways, maybe some contests. I don't know, uh, but we're definitely going to be having a lot of wings. So to kick off the year, I am thrilled to be here with one of my new favorite friends. Uh, please welcome Ryan Irwin. Yay. <laughs> Round of applause for me. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good. Um, I, I, I got to admit, I've been a little cranky lately. I don't know why. For no reason. Oh, I, I Okay, to be fair, we just started a new term, as, and I'm a teacher, and I have all new classes, and so I, I totally feel you. Okay, I want to hear about this because I'm kind of fascinated, uh, only experiencing the teacher thing from this perspective you know I want to hear the inside scoop but tell my audience who are you what are you about what makes you so special Ryan Irwin great well uh, I am a, a middle school drama teacher from Utah I've been doing it for nine years and that's about enough um I am over it but uh, I've been doing it for nine years, putting on the musicals and plays every year. I also do stand-up comedy here in Utah, and that's how me and Mary became friends. Uh, we did a festival together, and then we've just stayed in contact. Uh, and so I've been doing that comedy for about two and a half years now. And uh, yeah, no, teaching is, uh, it's a journey every day. And uh, some days I don't like the destination. Okay, so I think you've kind of triggered me because I have some very frustrating memories from high school drama. And I, my high school drama department was so competitive. It, everybody was so freaking talented and I had no idea how to play the game. And I'll tell you this, we did a spring musical, we did a, a, a fall drama and we did a children's show in between around December. And I auditioned for every single freaking play that we had. And I never made anything until my senior year. I was Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland in the children's okay. show. And yeah. yes, that is cool. But I wanted like the fall drama. Like yeah. I wanted to, you know, and I, so disappointing. It was, it was a disappointing experience. But my senior year, I discovered speech and debate, which is more of an individual activity. And I did really well with that. And I kind of took that route. Yeah, we have that in Utah. We have speech and debate. We also have drama competitions. So yes. like the theater departments get together. And so because I'm a middle school, I don't have to compete in those because those are incredibly stressful, but I get paid to judge it. So yes. Yeah, so you're I, like a pillar of the community. Yeah, I'm on the state board of theater teachers. I'm the junior high rep for the state of Utah. And then uh, I've been the only person that's been in the tabulation room at state every year. So I'm the, I'm the only person that knows how everything has happened from year to year. I'm in the know and uh, it's a lot of work and I never, I never want to be a high school drama teacher, only middle school. Oh, you talk like that. We have so many full-time middle school drama programs. Like the arts are really big in Utah with yeah. people. Don't 
Um, but because, you know, the Mormon culture, they sing at church, uh, they, they, they put on little plays, every they church. They play instruments. They're so good at instruments. <laughs> um, my, uh, every church was, is built with a stage in the, in the gym. So they put on plays and presentations. So like the arts are a really big deal in Utah and every city has an arts council. Plus there's random, uh, little community theaters that pop up. Like it's performing arts are kind of a big deal in Utah. Yeah, because so, without any alcohol, what are you gonna do? You're gonna clog. That's what you're gonna do. <laughs> no, and I sound like I'm frustrated, but I'm just jealous. Like I, you know, everywhere else the arts struggle and nobody pays attention, and you have to struggle to get people to come see your art. And so it's so wonderful that there's a community that really like lifts it up and supports it. Um, and I just, I feel like I just started too late. Like I didn't know once I started doing the arts, like this girl's playing a harp and this you know, <laughs> girl can sing opera. I'm like, what? And I'm like, I understand that. Cause we like all my friends knew how to play the piano and sing and do sing lessons. Both my parents are deaf. So both of them don't hear anything. So arts education and music education was never priority. I just liked singing. And because I'm a boy, I got into everything. <laughs> and oh so, my gosh. <laughs> like, you know, I, I loved it. I did the musical every year from elementary school, middle school. I was Prince Charming when I was in seventh grade. Um, and I just did the musicals every year and loved it. When I got to college, I was like, why don't I do that? And so that's what I did. Oh my gosh. I'm very, I'm really jealous kind of at this point. Um, but no, that's fantastic too. Like, um, that's so wonderful. And it's kind of neat to see how you can kind of track how your career has just evolved, right? You're using all your skills and it's now evolved into this flourishing stand-up comedy career life that you're building for yourself. Well, and definitely like, I feel like I always have a leg up, not because I test material on kids, but because I'm used to having to entertain mm -hmm. a tough crowd and keep their attention span and find something that they can relate to and having to deal with hecklers right. <laughs> who are 12. And so when I, go, when I started going to the clubs and like the bar mics, it was easy because I'm so used to being, I'm like, oh, we're back on task. Okay. And <laughs> I put on my teacher voice so many times on stage. <laughs> Quiet right. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, it, you know, I want you three eyes on me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I teach adults and it's, it's similar. It's not really that much different. Um, but yeah, it is scary when uh, sometimes I'll have a, like a 60, two-year-old man just looking at me like what the hell does this girl know and then by the end of the week they're like oh Mary you're wonderful and it's like thank you I do know what I'm doing um but yeah tough crowds right yeah so I I'm used to having to entertain and usually if I do try a joke it's definitely one of like my super sanitized like stories or jokes or whatever. And if I can get a few <laughs> good one, Irwin, I'm like, oh, this one's a banger. It's gonna kill at the club because they are such a tough crowd at my school. <laughs> I'm so afraid of these children. <laughs> <laughs> my, one of my first corporate gigs, it was like, hey, you're gonna work this New Year's Eve event. And I, 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 I was the MC for a circus company. So like they would do like aerial silks and all that other stuff, contortionist. And so they're like, yeah, you're gonna host our New Year's Eve event. I was like, great, I show up. It's an all like a family friendly, all ages event. So I was like, oh, changing my material, changing my material. We're gonna talk about Lego Batman because dating is not gonna relate to these five-year-olds. And so I was lucky enough that I had stuff that I had actually tried out on kids <laughs> that worked that I could perform at that gig 
but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely helped me a ton in stand-up. It's like that quick adapt. Like what's my surrounding? Who's my audience? Adapt, adapt, adapt. Yeah. I love that. So I want to get a little deeper into that, but first I want to hear about the wings that you had. Uh, we're doing distance wings. What wings did you find? So I Googled a lot. I don't eat a lot of wings. Um, and so I found this Asian like cafe that said they served wings. They were not wings, um, but they, they, they were boneless wings. So okay. yeah, but uh, it was called Chick Queen. So I was in love with the title. Spell that um, for me. Chick, like, and then Queen. So just Oh, like, just C-H-I-C. Yeah. Chick-fil-A ruined it for me with their spelling. <laughs> You're not wrong. Chick uh, Queen, I love I, it. I, I door dashed for the first time in my entire life. <laughs> Um, and they were, they said this like Asian soy sauce thing on it and it was actually really good. And it came with a side of rice and a salad. Ooh. So this episode will be titled Chick Queen Asian. (laughs) 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 Yeah. If you title the Asian quick Chick Queen and my picture pops up, I don't, I feel like that's cultural appropriation. Chick Queen Asian soy with Ryan (laughs) Urshan. With Ryan (laughs) Urshan. It's a tongue twister. So, okay, so normally, you know, we do make fun of people for having boneless wings, but I'm not going to kick anybody out for boneless. I'll admit it, when I'm lazy, I will get boneless because I don't want to work for my food. But having a wing podcast, you kind of have to be like a wing purist, you know, like, oh, bone in, but that's okay. Did, let me ask you a couple questions on this. So they were, they were, uh, were they breaded and fried or were they grilled? Like, what was that like? They were, they were, uh, Fried, I took a picture. Um, it's a podcast, you don't see it. No, any. that's okay, but I want you to send it to me or we'll advertise okay, it. Okay, I'll send it to you. So, um, but then they, they ha- I, I wanna say it was lightly fried. Mm-hmm. And then they uh, put the sauce on it, the soy sauce glaze. And then they had a little green onions sprinkled over top Ooh. and then sesame seeds. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Did you dip it in anything or did it, was it good no, just it, on its the own? the sauce was plenty juicy, yeah. Okay. The rice was probably a nice compliment to that then too. It was very nice. Oh and the salad God. had this like dressing. It was a really interesting dressing. I did not know what was inside of it. And I do, I could not taste what it was, but it had a taste. Yeah. Not one I could discern, but it was tasty. Was it just like this weird chopped up iceberg lettuce? Like, boom, there's your salad. Oh yeah. Like it was definitely I love just that romaine. salad. Listen, it was just romaine and red onion. And I was like, I'm not mad. I'm not going to pick anything out. I've realized when other people make my salad, I like it better. And I know that's not really, it's probably more like a garnish or like just like this little palate cleanse, but it, when somebody else makes it, same thing with a sandwich or even ordering a pizza. It's like, if you order it, then I, I like it. When I do it, I'm like, oh, I messed it up or something. But that's fast. It sounds like a, you know, like a plate food or like you had like a nice styrofoam of like- Container for the, the wings and then the rice and the salad came in their own little containers. Okay. so. Not wings at all. Not very- <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I googled wings near, and I put my address, and it said this had a very high rated wing thing on Yelp, and I was like, "All right, cool, let's order it." No, and that's then- really good. I mean, are there a lot of wing restaurants in Salt Lake City? There are. I mean, of course, there's Buffalo Wild Wings. There's Wing Nuts. There's like the staples, <clears throat> but I don't. I don't ever like crave wings, and like I know like different like bars and stuff have wings as I said, but like, I don't know of a place that it's like, oh yeah, they're known for their wings. Like, I just, I just don't. 
I got you. I got you. I, and I, I, I get it. Like I use wings to talk to people. So it's like, I mean, I am a wing enthusiast, but I also don't order them unless I'm doing the podcast. Mm. Um, unless me and my friend go to this one bar here, which we, we can't, you know, we, we're not going out, but there's a couple of times where I'm like, Ooh, I want wings. But anyway, I feel you. Um, but there is a restaurant that's kind of famous. there called free birds. Pretty Can you bird. tell me about what is it called? Pretty bird. Pretty bird. <laughs> I think it's called pretty bird. I've eaten there. The hot the chicken, one- please. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like this own little tiny little restaurant right in the heart of downtown. I don't know. I've just seen it on TikTok. It's a hot chicken place. Yeah, yeah, pretty bird. Okay. Um, uh, I love it. It is a thirteen dollar chicken sandwich. Okay. So it is pricey, but. Uh, I have always been satisfied when I've eaten there. What makes it so good? I don't know. I feel like they have to soak the chicken in something really tasty. Cause like Chick-fil-A soaks theirs in pickle juice. Like, like a brine. Know. Yeah. So I feel like there's some sort of bread and then the breading is very like breaded. I love breaded chicken and it's not like thin. It's like a pretty thick breaded thing. It's a crispy. And, yeah. Very crispy. Um, and it's just really tasty. Yeah, I've been having a craving for chicken sandwiches lately. I think because they're just all over the place and you kind of see them in your peripheral, but. I mean, I, I love chicken, so. Well, I'm hit or miss. I tried to make some chicken in my Instant Pot the other day and it came out, I was like, I think I might just be a rotisserie chicken person. Like, I'm just going to buy rotisserie. Mm. I'm struggling right now because I'm home all the time. I'm cooking. I'm trying to cook more for myself. And I just keep feeling like I'm spending a ton of money and I'm failing. Yeah, I started doing HelloFresh recently um, because I'm not good at cooking, but I wanted, I knew they come with recipes and everything that you need. So I was like, all right. And I have made some delectable meals that I'm like, oh, this is way easy. I can do that. And it says it takes 40 minutes. I was like, well, I'm going to cut corners the next time I do this. So it'll be faster. Um, so I, I actually really like that. What's the best thing you've made from HelloFresh? Oh, let me pull out my recipe book. <laughs> oh, because um, you keep the recipe and then you can make it again. I just hate buying like a huge chunk of ginger when you only need like an inch of ginger. Like that drives me bonkers. So they they come and I know the people on the podcast cannot see them, but they come with uh, on a large sheet of paper Mm -hmm. and it comes with a picture of how the meal is supposed to look. And then all the ingredients, they send it in. And then on the back, it's step-by-step instructions with pictures. So it's really fail safe. One of my favorite things was this buffalo spiced crispy chicken with mashed potatoes, buttery broccoli, and a honey drizzle. Oh, it was delicious. How many calories does it have? It does not say, and I'm glad it, oh no, it does. For one serving, 780 for this one. Okay, so it's not crazy. Mm-mm. Yeah, like for two. So you, I like, well, I order it for two, but you can order for four, but I make it for two and then I save some for lunch the next day. Yeah, that's a good idea. So it, you might've sold me on it. I like have all of these. It is pretty pricey. Yeah. But I'm only going to, uh, this week is week four and I only did a five week thing. Cause then by the end I have 20 new recipes that I can modify and tweak and substitute things. And so I can- They're going to offer you a really good deal to re-up. And I probably will take it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you think about it, like I spent, you know, un- like 150 at Costco. And then I went and spent another 50 at the grocery store. And I'm just like, wow. It's just me, but you need like so many things to make things. And, and then, like perfectly portioned, like tubes of sour cream, the exact amount you need, not yeah. a whole. 
even though you can probably get tub for pretty cheap, but just like everything is portioned out already. Yeah, so I'm close to that. Or maybe just to take a break really too. Like I've been, I eat a lot of eggs that I like, like breakfast food that kind of works for me. But anyway, okay. So thank you. This is almost like therapy for me because I'm, I, I just need to talk it out, but um, tell me a little bit about, so you're so funny. The first time I saw you was at the virtual big pine comedy festival in 2020. It was fantastic. Fan favorite. Um, you. you said you've been doing comedy for two and a half years. Um, what made you start doing comedy? Like what was that catalyst? You know, why, or what, you know, what happened? So um, I was living in a weird house. There were six guys in one house. So we all had our own room, one kitchen for six guys. It was always a mess. So I was like, okay, I'm, I want to move. So I was looking for apartments in downtown Salt Lake. I was living out in the suburbs and uh, my cousin was about to graduate from college. I was looking for an apartment for two and he's like, I'm going to move down to Salt Lake. And I was like, great. And then he got a job in Vegas and I was super pissed. So then I just kept looking for apartments downtown and I, and I just like stumbled across a listing and it was like $400 a month to rent a room in a downtown apartment that I was like, all right. And I met the guy and he's a, he's a comedian. And so like we met up and like, like, he's like, yeah, you'd be great to move in or whatever. And so then I was like, you know, maybe this is a sign the universe of like the listing just like popped up. I wasn't even looking for apartments. It just kind of like popped up on like a suggested ad or whatever on Facebook. Cause it had, it had known that I was like looking for a new apartment. So then I was like, oh, and I clicked on it. I moved in and I decided that very next week, I was like, I'm going to do open mic. I had never been to a live comedy show. I had never oh, wow. watched a comedy special. I had never done anything with stand-up. My brother-in-law had sent me a few Conan clips of like Gary Goldman and Taylor Tomlinson and stuff. And he's like, this is funny. And I was like, oh yeah. But like, I had never really sat down and invested any time in stand-up. And I just was like, why don't I do it? And I did okay the first time I got a few laughs. I was like, all right. And then the next time I bombed, obviously. <laughs> and then the next time I was just like, I, I, was, I was so concerned. I was like, I don't want to be the gay comedian. I just want to be funny. And then the in the first time I performed, the only thing they laughed at was my gay jokes. I was like, well, they, and the next set I did nothing gay. And I was like, well, apparently the audience is want gay stuff. And I did this uh, gay set and uh, the, the room just like lit up because the Utah uh, Wise Guys open mic is very distinct. So typically, uh, in non-pandemic seasons, there's two to 300 people in the audience that open. Wow. So like, if you have a good joke, like the audience lets you know that that's a killer joke. And like the room just like lit up on that joke. And I was like, I'm going to do this. And I've just stuck with it. What a great way to get started. What a great, like kind of a support, you know, like to have audience and like, um, from then till now, like now you have a dry bar special, you're in festivals, you're in podcasts. What's, tell me about the growth. Like how have you changed and grown since that moment, um, to now? Yeah, no, uh, I, uh, when I first started, I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna do it for fun. And then after like the third or fourth time, I was like, no, like I want to do this. And so I would like find every bar mic. I'm like, I got to work on material. <clears throat> And I was doing like four or five mics a week. I was like driving all over the place. And uh, I learned a lot about like, oh, when I find something that I'm passionate in, I invest fully. That's just who I am as a person. So whenever I'm like, oh, someone's cute. I'm like, I have now planned our wedding, which is an unhealthy example. Yeah, a diving right into the deep end, which is an unhealthy example. But this was something that I could dive all in 
and it wouldn't like emotionally like destroy me. And uh, I've like gone through like ups and downs, of course, you know, like I do great for like a few weeks and then like every open mic, I'm just bombing. And I was like, but why? I'm so good. Right. And it's part of the growth. And I've, I've learned um, a lot that I'm a lot more resilient than I thought I was, which has allowed me to be better over the past, especially during the pandemic is every time like I would get down on something, I was like, listen, I've gone through harder things. And I was able to like, like pull out of it and write new material and go in confident and people like resonated with that. Cause I just walked on stage so confident. Cause I'm like, listen, I've been through worse. And I just, everything that I would, most everything that I was doing was working well in the past like six, eight months, like almost every new premise lands. And it's like, okay, I'm in this like little renaissance thing uh, of creativity. And so, yeah, what were you gonna say? No, just hearing you talk about this is, it's so good because I always think, that's what I love about comedy is like, I can work hard at it and I can enjoy the benefits or I can not work hard and I will not enjoy what happens. But I, I always feel like I'm not working hard enough in comedy or I'm not doing it enough. But listening to you talk about that, I think what it is, is when you're passionate about something, when you love it, it's not work. Like it's, you know, like, yeah, let me drive two hours or fly and then drive two hours for a five minute set. You know, like I will do it. And it's, and you kind of think, I don't know, it's, it's what you want to do. So it doesn't feel like work or it doesn't feel, but you are working like really hard. So like, that's the thing is like, I, everyone's, it's so cheesy where it's like, if you have a job you love, you never work a day in your life. And I was like, that's stupid, but it's somewhat true. And uh, the best bit of writing advice I read was um, basically like, if an idea is not working, it's not working and you should go on to something else. So, cause I used to spend like a week being like, okay, I have this really funny premise, researching the joke, duh, 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 and like, I would spend all week working on it and then it wouldn't land. And then sometimes I'd walk up to the club and I'd have this idea, I'm like, oh, that's funny. And I just say it on stage and it works. And uh, I've learned that both are incredibly valuable. And because I've worked so hard on that premise, even though it means that joke's not gonna work, the process of finding punchlines, of finding a setup, of reading the room, whatever, is the skills that I needed to have that one and create it on the spot. So that's what's really happened last few weeks. Like I just like walk up to the club and like, I had this idea, but I'm actually gonna do a joke about Helen Keller and it lands. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like my best ideas have been the ones on the way to the club. Like for some reason my mind just focuses and then I'm like in it. Um, There's a a really great, a good comedian I opened up for um, last year he said something that I thought was really smart and it stayed with me. He said those premises that you couldn't get going when you were newer, like you maybe weren't ready for them either. Like revisit them when you had some experience because now maybe your mind is ready. And I'm like, what? I have saved every note card I've ever written anything on. And I've saved, I've audio recorded every stand-up set I've ever performed. And what I did a few months, weeks ago is I just went back, scrolled back two years and I listened to like 10 sets in a row and I was like, oh, that's a fun premise. I had no idea what to do with it. Now I do. Mm. And so I've been creating all this new stuff. And like, I've been going through old notes. I'm like, why did I stop doing that joke? It always landed. And so now it's back in my set. And so I love going back and revisiting old stuff. 
That's, I, I feel like I either didn't pursue things or dropped them too early because I was afraid of what, what maybe like other comics thought. Like definitely it's taken me a long time to get just more confidence and stop asking for permission to do a premise and go, you know what, Mary? what you think is right. It, it is. I'm not saying I'm the funniest person, but it is right. And you will learn on stage if it's good or not. But like, if you think something's funny, it's funny. Don't ask for permission. Screw that. Um, and I, I'm saying it out loud because I think I need to practice that more. Affirmations. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I think I stalled for a little bit in writing because I was like afraid to try new material and I was afraid to bomb in front of my peers. Yeah, no, I totally relate to that because I do strictly clean comedy. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I have something that like, I had a Helen Keller joke and one of my comedian friends was like, ooh, edgy, Ryan, okay. Cause it's so like me doing a Helen Keller joke is considered edgy. Like that's like, I'm so squeaky clean that like the, I push myself out of the boundary. What I would love to do is satire comedy. I have so many absurd, dumb premises that don't go anywhere because I love anti-comedy. I love when there's nothing funny, but that's what's funny about it. I love that stuff. I can't pull that off yet, but I keep writing every idea I have. And one day when I'm confident, I'm just gonna lay out a, like a big, long satirical set or a big, long anti-comedy set. But right now I'm not ready for that but I know at some point I can, but like, I always have to tell myself, Ryan, just write it down. And you know, it, something funny will come out of it. And so you just gotta keep, keep on writing. I love that. And that's when the audience actually loves you the most is when you're being like your authentic self. And if it's like mm -hmm. what you really like, but, but yeah. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this just to kind of reignite that flame. Yeah. Um, so like you mentioned, you're gay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're <laughs> Sorry. Um, you're what? gay in Salt Lake City, which yes. I realize I'm not the first person to notice that. Um, <laughs> what's that like? I mean, it, I mean, it seems like you're doing really well in comedy, but like, what has that been like as you've like found your voice and seems like people love you. So, I mean, are you a symbol of pro progress for them or I'm what? A pillar of strength in the Utah I'm community. Such a hero. <laughs> Very brave. No, uh, uh, coming out, cause I'm from a small town originally. Um, and so like when I went off to college and whatever, like coming out was like a long process. Like I told people and I was like, I'm gay. And then like, we don't talk about it for a while just cause of how I was raised. So it really took a long time for me to get really comfortable in my skin. Cause even when I graduated from college, I was 24 cause I served a mission to Uruguay um to your mission and then so I was 24 and I graduated from college and even at my like my I'm 24 years old I'm a professional adult like I didn't come out to my coworkers. they all knew because I wasn't hiding anything I'm really bad at hide and go seek um but they were all like skirting around the question and whatever just because I wasn't totally confident and then once I like it took me about a year or so to finally go okay yep I'm an adult, like this is who I am now. It took a lot of unpacking of like what I, how I was raised that now like I'm so confident, I don't care. I ask out straight men in public frequently at the gym, at the club, at the store. Like I'm just like, I'm very unashamed and unabashed about being gay now. Well then what's it like then the dating scene? Like, is there plenty to go yeah. around? What? <laughs> oh. No, um, because of Mormonism, which is not what it's called, and everyone's like, Ryan, that's offensive, you know better, but everyone commonly knows it as that. Um, LDS, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, 
that is still has such a stronghold in so many people's hearts. There's a lot of gay guys who firmly believe that they can still be an active participating member of the Mormon church and still date, even though you, you, you really can't. Um, and like in Mormonism, like the temple marriage is like the biggest thing. Um, and so, but you have to be married man and a woman. But I've been on, I wanna say about a third of all of my dates have said, I firmly believe I'm gonna be married in the temple, which I have unsubscribed to Mormonism for like eight or nine years. So like, for me, that's a deal breaker. I'm like, sorry, thanks, but no thanks. So dating is a little tricky because there's a lot that are still so attached to the religion. So it's hard. And also because my type is um, straight laced Mormon guys. Like, <laughs> it's a problem. Me too, Ryan, me too. I love a 30-year-old balding accountant named Craig. Like, it's just my type. And I love it so much. And I hate that I love it. Um, but uh, so that, that's been the difficult part. I've never been in a relationship. I'm about to turn 30. Um, so so it, I, that has a lot to do with it. Also, once I started stand-up, I was like, I'm just too busy. And I just stopped dating. And it was so great for me. Because instead of investing all my time, like, chatting on dating apps and chatting on and like messaging and going out on dates. I was spending that time writing premises and going to bars and performing that, that material that I invested all the time I was spending in dating and putting it into comedy. And that's really what helped me catapult where I, I feel like you're probably missing out maybe um, on, on, on that part of your life, possibly like. Yeah, I know for healthy balance, I need to go out and do it more. I was literally, no, I, mean I Oh. I didn't mean to say it like that. Oh. I was just thinking about all of my gay friends and how busy they are. <laughs> <laughs> busy. We know you're home watching Queer Eye. Like. No, I um, I um, I stopped. I was I performed at a gay bar last night. Um, I just stopped by because one of my friends had my shark costume, which is a <laughs> <laughs> an average <laughs> item. One and then I was have. like, hey, can I just, you know, do a guest set? I love this audience. I love this show. And he's like, of course. So I did five minutes. But they're just, I mean, they, it, it was, I guess I can't fully appreciate it, but just it being around, I mean, are there any gay bars in Salt Lake City? There are. There's a couple. Um, I, I'm a weird uh, character for like the gay bars. Okay. This is going to sound incredibly uh, petty and um, juvenile, but I am gay, so it's part of my culture. Um, and so uh, I feel like every time I go to one of those places, everyone is immaculate and gorgeous. And I'm over here like, why did I wear sweats? <laughs> like, I'm just like, I'm just like an average, every ordinary person who's also gay. And I feel like all these people are in like tightly fitted shirts and skinny jeans. And I'm like, I got these pants at Target. And like, I just like, I don't feel like I fit in. So I don't go to like gay You just want a bald accountant. I just do, I do. Like, um, Do you have a bit about what you just told me? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yes. good. I was gonna say, if not write it down, it's so funny. Oh no, I, I've, I've got a whole section of what my ideal man is like. Uh, there's, a, there's a line in it that work, kills in Utah. It's, I say he's the elders quorum president which in like Mormon culture, they're kind of like a leader in the church, but they're like an awkward guy stereotypically. So it works well here. I've tried phrasing it to be like suburban white dad is the type that I'm after. Yeah. But it, it hasn't really resonated when I've done that. Yeah. Joke. So I need to find a way to retool it so it works. You say that, but also you're on a stage and you're funny and that is like, oh. 
you could get any hottie you want with that for a guy not girls <laughs> yeah so i have i've only performed at one gay bar um i was opening up for a music night it was a weird thing i performed on a runway like nothing about it made sense um and it was the first time i ever met a gay, uh, drag queen in real life i've never been to a drag show oh. like my best friend that i met when i lived in salt lake she like literally like broke my gay virginity on like everything i had never done brunch i had like uh never i've never been to a drag show uh i had never gone to a gay club until she's like we're going for my birthday like i had like everything she's like we're doing that i'm making you be gay and i was like okay it's just not my dream. oh my gosh well i can't i want you to come visit and uh I, I, I well i was gonna say like i i was like i can take you places but i could also hook you up with people who will take you and you'll probably have more fun with them but <laughs> like no but um no that's so great now another part of your comedy that I distinctly, succinctly, I don't know, remember. And I just thought was so great. And you just don't hear it all the time, but like your parents are both deaf. Yeah. So how does that factor into all of this that we're talking about? So my parents were both born deaf, but me and all my siblings were all hearing because my, my grandmas were both sick when they were pregnant. So both of them being deaf was a birth defect, not a genetic defect. So me and all my siblings are hearing because it wasn't hereditary. Oh. My, my mom's mom had the German measles, which there's a vaccine for it now, um, but there wasn't back then. And then my mom's dad had other complications because my dad has other birth defects. Um, and so uh, that's why none of us are deaf and none of the grandkids are deaf because it wasn't hereditary. So um, being like, honestly, I feel like the, the only way that I survived into adulthood was the fact that I had deaf parents because I talk a lot. And I think my parents, if I, they were hearing would have killed me. Like my siblings are like, go away. And so I just talked to myself in the garage. I, we had this front walkway in my house that I would just pace back and forth all the time, just talking to myself. Mm -hmm. uh, I just love the sound of my voice. So stand up has definitely been great with that. Um, it also forced me because I'm, I'm so, it helped me with theater first because having to sign and be expressive with your face, with your hands and body language in sign language, that's how you communicate, which in theater transitioned well, so I could be a better performer. And then uh, with stand-up, that just kind of was like another natural progression uh, towards that. And then whenever I do like my deaf parents stuff, people love that stuff. Cause they're like, I've never, cause I do sign language yeah. in the gym. Um, for a section of it. And then I talk about like, you know, there is some questionable jokes in there where I talk about using the deaf voice like when we talk like this, which is offensive. And I reference that in my joke. Um, and so uh, like my parents actually love all, I, I've, I've done all the jokes for them, sign language. I've done the voice one and my mom's like, you're bad. And, and like my dad thought it was funny, um, but it's just it's another- yours. I mean, I, yeah. And, so like for me, like when people talk about like, like you said earlier, like your authentic voice, that's part of my background. That's part of who I am. So I'm going to talk about it. And I talk about being a teacher and I talk about being gay. And like, like there's so many things that like my standup, I don't write like one liners. Like I do stories that I weave in humorous details on. Um, uh, Cause that's one, I'm a storyteller, but two, like that's just, uh, something that resonates easier with me because I enjoy it. The audience enjoys it. Yeah. Like, really I worry about that. Um, as I, 
I talk about my mom and I, and I do an impression of her voice. I mean, it's the same thing, but I'm like, it's mine. Like that's, that's how I grew up and that's what I know. And I feel like it's getting closer and closer to being inappropriate, like as culture changes. And I do respect that, but I'm also, I'm like, that's my mom. Like I, I can make fun of her. Yeah, exactly. I, I I said that on one of my shows. I'm like, listen, she's my, they're my parents. If comedians have, if they were going to be censored on every front, we have at least got to make fun of our parents. <laughs> like that has to be a safe space. Also, like if I had to go to school and repeat weird shit, she weird stuff she said, because I didn't know any better and I had to live through that, like I get to make fun of her. Like I learned, you know, I have a joke about just, I learned a lot of things wrong because she doesn't, she still barely speaks English. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask like, uh, but you kind of reference it like, like, do you get pushback when you do like jokes about like your parents or like their culture? Uh, no, not, no. I'm, I'm just kind of like um, scary anticipating it. I'm oh, sorry, I'm going to take a picture. I'm just kind of like anticipating it, but um, we're <laughs> I'm anticipating it. And um, I've had no, not yet. shows like one lady, uh, it was before my drive bar special. And so it's actually in my drive bar special because she came up to me, she's like, hey, my sister's deaf and well, that's offensive. And I was just like, um, does your sister know Mark and Kathy? Because if she doesn't, then it's not offensive because the jokes were about my parents. Like right. Janine had nothing to do with this. <laughs> so you right. can take your offense away. <laughs> now on the converse, I'm not gonna go be, you know, like mimic deaf people because that's really bad. And you're not gonna probably mimic Mexicans. But... No. Oh, you know like, what? I, this memory is coming all together now, but um, it's not about you, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it just hit me. I, one of the, I was, um, I was on a cruise as a guest and we went to watch the comedy show. And now I'm remembering it was Arvin Mitchell, who's actually. He's a, in Salt Lake. Yeah. He's yeah, yeah. Lake. I didn't know him. I wasn't even, I don't even know if I did comedy. I might've, but it, Ar, Arvin Mitchell was the comic. And that cruise was great. And I do remember there was a deaf, somebody was deaf because there was an interpreter. And we just learned so much about this interpreter. Like, cause we talked to her when she was off. She got to travel with these people because she was in their interpreter or they, or the, the, the travel company hired her. So she gets to go on these trips. So she's signing the show and like Arvin Mitchell, it was the late show and he thought it was great. And like, he kind of had her say like dirty things and she, everybody was into it. But there was also, if you talk to him, please tell him this. <laughs> there was like a 13 year old girl, like the typical, I'm on a vacation with my parents. She had like the, like the beads in her hair and the sunburn <laughs> <laughs> and he kicked her out. Like she kept like basically heckling. She was so annoying. I can't remember what she was doing, but it was really annoying. And he removed her. And then she snuck back in and he was like, and he noticed, he was like, what are you doing here? And then like, she, I remember seeing her leaving again and she's crying. And I'm like, you deserve that, you little turd. She was, oh, she was just that tween that you're just like, I hate, and it was no, so funny. That. And now I realize it was Arvin Mitchell. And uh, that was- No, he's great. He's very funny. Yeah, he's on uh, uh, Studio C right now. Oh, is he? We need a sketch comedy with them, yeah. Neat, 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 neat. I love, um, I think that's the other thing too, is trying to piece back all my comedy memories from bef when I, before I did comedy to like, um, 
you know, like, oh, now I know that person. And I, it was kind of neat. I got to open for John Caparulo. And I think that was like the first live stand-up show I went to in San Diego. Uh-huh. And I was like, I told him, it was weird to tell him that. And he was like, oh, well. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> memories. Um, um, One of my other comedian friends, when they were on the dry bar tour, he did a set where he, there was an interpreter. So he's like, all right. So he's like, so he just said, I am the interpreter. I am so funny. So then the interpreter is signing, I am the interpreter. I'm so funny. And just did all the jokes in third person as the interpreter and <laughs> like killed the room. And like everyone was like laughing really hard. That's I'm sure the so fun. But that's almost uh, like improv skill. Like just go with it, make it fun if it works. Yeah. Um, you must be, are you a really, are you really good at sign language? So yeah, so I grew up bilingual. So actually I was an ESL student in school because sign language was my first language. It's not anymore. Um, So, uh, and now I'm trilingual because I know Spanish because of my mission. And so I teach Spanish. Um, Now I teach theater and then I have two periods of Spanish this year because of COVID. We had to move schedules around. So I have to be in the Spanish classroom and it's not my favorite. Um, (laughs) But uh, I can answer all the questions and I know all the material. but yeah, so like uh, I, I grew up bilingual. Sign language was my first language. My sister taught me how to read. Um, my aunt and grandma taught her how to read. And then she taught us how to read, me and my brothers. Um, so we actually, all of me and my, all my siblings had super high reading scores because we always read closed caption when we mm. watched TV. Oh. And so we had to read things for my parents and interpret them. And when we would call, our, like when we were at my grandma's or my aunt's and uncle's house, we would use the TTY, which is like this phone apparatus that you would type in in a keyboard. So like we were always reading everything. So all of us had really high lexi- lexicon or lexile scores. Yeah, and it, I can imagine, and this isn't scientific, it just, your brain just w- got wired for that early of like seeing, thinking, speaking, signing. Yeah, so, so we, we, all, we all read all through school at like above grade level, like several grades above just because we were so used to reading and seeing words and seeing words we aren't familiar with and put like by context, understanding what they mean. And just uh, where people would watch shows and be like, I don't know what that means. We would see the word and it would make a different attachment. Mm-hmm. So fascinating. Yeah. I like language a lot. So I think that's, that's really fascinating. I've been seeing, have you seen, like there's different controversies here and there about like either bad signers or fake signers. Have you seen that? Like what <laughs> are you talking about? about that at my work, yeah. What? We were talking about that with some of my coworkers today because they were like, how much influence do you think a sign language interpreter has, especially like when you see like state of the union addresses or like when governors were like doing like emergency reliefs. Um, But there's a really good checks and balances with the interpreting system because um, every interpreter will judge the crap out of the one that is selected to speak for the governor. So they're not gonna mess up. They're not gonna make up their own thing. If they don't know it, they will find the closest word to it. And like, they're not gonna try and misconstrue something because other interpreters will call them out on it. Yeah, like I've been seeing on the news, like this lady's just making this up. Yeah, there was a press conference where he just like walked in and goes, I'm the interpreter. And everyone was like, okay. And he just like did all the signs and then walked out and everyone's like, what happened? Um, But like, there's like watching interpreters uh, at like, like when it's like emergency release stuff is my favorite because they're so animated because they're trying to convey the tone of voice because you lose that in sign language. You lose tone, inflection, rate, rhythm, all that stuff where you have to then 
make that with your face and the bigger arm gestures you do like emphasize stuff because there's no the only punctuation in sign language is a question mark there's no exclamation point there's no period unless you say period but like you do this if you're asking a question like you like point your index finger and like bend it in and out because that like so if you finish a thing and you do a question you put that at the end but there's no exclamation point sign so you have to make your actions and and like facial expressions bigger to emphasize the exclamation it's point. A big deal. <gasps> oh my goodness. Go, they're so big. It's because they're conveying tone and punctuation and other things that you lose in English. I think that guy, is he in Georgia or New Orleans? The Georgia guy with the big beard and yeah. they made a match with his beard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's famous. Yeah, he's great. He's funny. Then there's this uh, girl, she does um, rap concerts. Yeah, I've seen her too. Yeah, yeah. Do, would somebody like that kind of like study it first? Like they they know oh, yeah. you- Especially you... when they know what's going to be said, they study <laughs> things because translating is, it's an art because especially in, in American sign language is different than English sign language. Subject verb agreement is all different. The way you, where you put adjectives in the sentence is all different. There's personification where instead of signing out every word, you do the action that all those words represent. So there's so much that goes into ASL that a, a, a good interpreter listens to basically one sentence then when the person is saying their second sentence, they're signing the first sentence while listening and translating the second sentence. So they're always lagging a sentence behind so that they can translate it correctly. So they have to be able to be present and uh, forward thinking at the same time by listening and then going, okay, what's the sign? While signing the sign they already prepared. So it so definitely when they know, when it's like music or like a theatrical production, they study it and analyze it so that they get everything shortened and condensed so that they can convey the emotion with it as well. Whereas when you have these like emergency press conferences, they're just doing their best to keep up because they they have no prep time. Wow, that is fascinating. I love this. Yeah. Um, all the subject ver verb agreement and personification, all that is why I was, I couldn't get too far in Spanish mm. and Spanish is the reason why I didn't get to do drama. Like, like around my sophomore year, they're like, no, you need to take Spanish. Cause we need to keep you on this track for the Cal state system or whatever the heck. And I was so mad. I'm like, how come I can't anyways, it's, a, <laughs> um, we're bringing it back to drama. <laughs> it's all connected. Um, <laughs> I also, like I said, it's also fun to kind of like behind the scenes of like what your teachers are thinking or like what it's really like, or, you know, and I guess I'm far removed from that now, not being a student. Well, I will say this, teachers definitely have favorites and they usually pick them on the first day. Absolutely. And there are, there are enemies that happen on the first day. And I would say 90% of the time I'm dead on. By year nine, I have a good vibe of, Right as they walk in the room, I'm like, turd. <laughs> or like, I love this kid. Yeah. Uh, so like yesterday was the first day. And before I even read anyone's like uh, special needs papers, like their 504s or their IEPs, all that other stuff, I was I went and went, I was able to go, she has ADHD, he has ADHD, she has this, he has a reading disability. Like, oh, wow. you pick up as a teacher uh, little things that like, when I say, okay, read that on the board and then go do that. And the kid who kind of looks around struggling, I'm like, 
struggles with reading, good to know. But then I look at their thing, ah, they're a grade level behind, that makes sense. So they don't wanna read in front of the class. So I'm never gonna call on them to read in front of the class. And like, wow. like you have, like I pick all that up on the first day, also because I'm a theater teacher, we do auditions for all of our shows that I have to be a quick judge of character and see what they can do. And I'm to the point now where it's like, yep, even though they bombed their audition, I know they can do it because of the way they presented themselves. That even if they didn't hit the notes, I know they have the confidence to do it. Where other kids maybe hit the notes, I'm like, they don't got it. They don't have that sparkle. And I move on. So yeah, I'm pretty good. Gatekeeper. Yeah. So like, <laughs> there's a thing that my high school drama teacher taught me about sparkle. And she's just like, it's that gut feeling that you believe in the kid. And there are lots of times where I cast a kid where the scores don't match up, but I'm like, no, this kid's going to play that role. And then they mm. shine. It's that gut and feeling. And it it's life-changing too, I think, because when you do stuff like that, you go, oh, wow, I'm really good at this, or I'm not good at this. And it can really put you on a different track in terms of what, you know. And we tell our kids, every show is different. We've cast kids from all grade levels. Like every, like we, our middle school is seven, eight, nine. So our high, we have actually high schoolers in our middle school. Mm. The ninth graders always think we're getting all the leads. Every year I've cast a seventh grader as one of the leads because I go, it's the best one for it. And then one kid got a lead in seventh grade, didn't get a lead in eighth, didn't get a lead in ninth. And I was like, listen, you're still a good performer. You just fit that role better. It was for a little boy role. You fit it. And as you've gotten bigger, you just didn't fit the roles that we were doing. But like you're still a talented performer. Uh, but it's navigating that territory and like knowing that every year is a clean slate. That's why my program's done really well because it's not like you see the same three kids in every yeah. show. Right? We pick those distinctly of who we have and going, this show can feature these couple of kids that didn't get featured in the last one. Let's do it. That's neat. I do feel bad. I think I was a terror for a few teachers. <laughs> and then really later on, I figured out how to be their favorite and then how to really enjoy that. Undiagnosed ADHD till I was 29 years old. <laughs> Found out last year that I have severe ADHD, which everyone knew by this point. They're like, oh yeah, that, yeah. that explains everything. Like no one was surprised. But I was so off the wall, literally every parent conference, my, my teachers would be like, okay. And my mom would be like, besides the talking, how is he doing? And so like, cause I was just a chatterbox. I was always, I always had something in my hand because of the ADHD. I was always pacing, bouncing my feet. I hated being still. Like, so like I can relate to all the kids. Who I'm like, like I, I can't do that, Mr. I have ADHD. I was like, listen, I had ADHD and everyone just told me to tough it. And guess what? I got through it. So can you? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, well, you know, I was thinking, it makes me think of, I was looking at my old report cards and it was like really good grades, but bad citizenship, what we call yeah, it. We have it, citizenship. Yeah. it was like toxin waste time, toxin waste time, you know, A, B. And my dad was just like, I don't know what to do. But um, I think like as performers, like we kind of have that in common, like, where we talk a lot. Definitely explains my profession where I just like, oh, I get yeah. to talk for an hour and no one can stop me? Cool. <laughs> I once said, oh, I love job interviews. Everyone's like, I hate interviewing. And I'm like, I love them. We get to talk about ourselves. <laughs> um, but it is, it is refreshing to know that I found a career and a passion that I hope to turn into a career that really celebrates that. So, and heck, yeah. we're podcasting right now. Like, Ah. <laughs> oh my gosh the time flies when i'm with you so let me ask you this <laughs> yes. couple of questions um if you could have a wing night at a bar a restaurant a club you can create it what would your wing special be right. and also mm -hmm. what would the entertainment be what would the drink special be what do you want this night to look like 
Okay. So um, I would like the most mild of wings with a ton of ranch sauce to dip it in because <laughs> I'm a baby. Um, even though I lived in South America for two years, I went to the one country that didn't believe in seasonings. <laughs> they don't even put salt and pepper on things in Uruguay. And I was oh, like, wow. thank you. Yeah, nothing. I loved it. Um, but uh, so the most mild of things with lots of ranch. The drinks, I would like mixed cocktails. I like some rum drinks every once in a while, but I drink only like quarterly, like four times a year maybe. But definitely lots of strawberry lemonade handy. Mm. Love that. And the entertainment, I want uh, a one-woman show by Amy Sedaris, and it's a performance art piece. I want it to be the most off-the-wall thing, because I love Amy Sedaris so much. Um, and maybe, like, a special guest appearance by, like, Alice and Janie or something. But, like, oh, what a I good night. A performance art piece. Like, I think that would be so funny. I would love so, that. Like, Come on down on Wednesday and get your mild wings and see this performance art with Amy Sedaris and we'll drink strawberry lemonade. Allison Janney, I'm for that. I'm all about this. I, I, I think I see. I love it. Great wing. <laughs> um, I, I see more people talk about it now that I'm a little more immersed in comedy. But I remember as a like a teenager, whatever. I loved Strangers with Candy, and I felt like nobody got it. And I would try to, I would try to kind of like reenact those jokes and people were just like, what? But I just thought she was so great. And I didn't even know who she was or anything. And now that I'm older, you're like, oh, Stephen Colbert, I think was on that show. Wait, yeah, was, there's yeah. lots, lots of famous people were. Yeah. Like, I, I remember when I saw her on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and I was like, what? And then when she popped up in The Mandalorian, I was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, she's in The Mandalorian. So is Bill Burr. There's like lots of stand-up comic oh, yeah. story in The Mandalorian. But Amy Sedaris plays a role in like two or three episodes. Oh, neat. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, I, I don't have Disney Plus. Oh, I don't even sorry. think I need it. But um, if you haven't seen Strangers with Candy, you should go back and watch it. But um, um, I think I've always really liked those um, like misfit characters, like weird kid characters. I really... I don't know if I, mm -hmm. I wasn't a weird kid, but like I identified with her. I just really liked that. Like, um, yeah, oh, I, I love that. She wasn't a she kid, actually. She was an old lady in that. Anyway, um, <laughs> random. You, you're pulling out so many, so many. Yeah, I, when you asked me earlier, like, think about you and offer doing that. I was like, what's the most obscure thing I could think of? A performance art piece by Amy Sedaris. Absolutely. I would pay good money to see that. <laughs> just picture people, people like, eating their wings and like, mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm really seeing this Um, What would your last meal request be? If this was like, oh, my last meal, what would it be? Mm, okay. I mean, I love sweet potato fries. Um, so I, if I know it's gonna be my last meal, probably some sweet potato fries a lemonade and then like just like a nice cheeseburger like like a homemade cheeseburger that's real thick with just like a brioche bun maybe mm. Mm, yeah. what do you dip your um your your sweet potato fries in because i struggle with this we have a thing in utah called fry sauce it's a combination of ketchup and mayo sometimes some places put seasonings in it or they put like 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 chipotle mayo or whatever mm -hmm. um but we have that at every restaurant in utah it's called fry sauce 
Okay, I think so I, I've had fried sauce. Potatoes and fried sauce. So you go, so what, what trips me out sometimes is sweet potato fries can go sweet or savory. Yes. And that dusting of like, sometimes if it's dusted in cinnamon sugar, then I want like a sweet dip. Yes. So um, there's a place in Utah called Goodwood and that has like a really sweet cinnamon honey like dipping sauce delectable yes but then when it's like more savory and not sweet like there's like this chipotle like mayo fry sauce that's so good and that's what i love about sweet potatoes they're so versatile they really are fascinating fascinating <laughs> ryan i love it thank you for talking about food so much with me this has been so much fun are you promoting anything is anything coming up for you what are you looking forward to um i've got a few comedy festivals i'm going to tower city at the end of march in yeah. paris we went there last year and then uh the cactus comedy classic is happening at the end of april in phoenix yep um uh they just emailed us the other day saying it's back on and i was like that's Yay. great um, and then uh, I got a few gigs that haven't been announced, but I've got like uh, a shows in different cities in Utah for right now. So. Very cool, exciting stuff. Where can people follow you? So on Instagram, I'm at Rye Irwin, R-Y-E-R-W-I-N. And then uh, I'm Ryan Irwin Comedy on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and formerly known as Parlor. And <laughs> no, I, I, I thought about setting up a parlor account, but I ended up not doing it. Glad you didn't because of the it, security breaches too or something. Yeah, it shut down and I was like, well, I was just about to. Um, but yeah, no, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. I'm Ryan Irwin Comedy on Instagram. I'm at Ryan Irwin. I love it. Thank you so much, Ryan. Um, you guys, thank you for tuning in. Happy New Year. Can't New Year. wait to uh you know just do more stuff the best we can and we're gonna keep doing it okay pandemic no pandemic we're this has been a really safe interview ryan wouldn't you say we did it safely <laughs> you guys thanks for joining us uh follow us on instagram and like and subscribe and do all that fun stuff we'd appreciate it we'll talk to you later thank you bye bye, bye.